My name is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking about the witch trials of J.K. Rowling. Um, I've been kind of dreading uh, talking about J.K. Rowling on this podcast for a while. It's been on my list, um, and, I, you know, I'm tired I'm tired in general, like I had a long day, my kids were home sick from school, Um, I have a lot of homework to do, Um, I'm going to be, I have a full day uh, tomorrow with uh, clients and just all kinds of stuff, so I'm tired and I'm tired of uh, this conversation, you know, Um, as we... Uh, As I talked about in previous episodes, you know, with vulnerability, uh, with visibility, comes um, some degree of scrutiny, um, for better or for worse. And um, I feel like that I'm like sort of over being visible. (laughs) And I would like to just like live my life without being reminded that... um, uh, that my identity is sort of up for public debate and that there may be a point at which, um, you know, popular opinion or political opinion uh, or public opinion might sway back to a place that it used to be uh, where, um, you know, trans people, uh, trans women in particular are uh, viewed, you know, wholeheartedly by the mainstream as being um, deviant freaks who are um, trying to deceive the world so that they can um, attack and rape uh, women and girls, Um, which, you know, from what I've been able to gather, um, based on, you know, reading, uh, Rowling's and other TERF's, um, observations about trans women seems to be, uh, a really major fear, a really central fear. Um, so, uh, I just, I have some thoughts, um, it's nighttime now on Monday night, uh, it's much later than it normally is when I put out these episodes, um, but uh, I'm going to throw some stuff out there, and then you let me uh, know how terrible (laughs) it is, Um, but I'm going to talk, which is what this show is about. Um, You know, when I heard that Rowling was making this podcast, um, there was a part of me that felt really frustrated by it because of the way that um, you know, her being platformed and her being headlined um, implicitly legitimized the criticisms of trans people and of trans identities. Um, that was my worry when I first heard about it. And, you know, if you take a look at Twitter, um, I think that a lot of that has been accomplished. You know, I I had a a Facebook friend um, who has some influence in a church community, um, you know, post about 
this podcast, recommending it highly to their followers. And it, it really sparked within me a lot of fear and a lot of despair. And I commented that, um, you know, it feels traumatizing to me to uh, be witnessing people uh, talking very explicitly um, and sort of openly debating uh, whether or not I should have a, a legitimate right to exist uh, in the world, um, at least as a transgender person. And um, my friend sort of, uh, you know, I, I think kind of patted me on the head and dismissed those fears and encouraged me to listen to the podcast and kind of said that they were unreasonable. Um, it may have not been quite that bad, but that's kind of what it felt like. And, you know, I, I had another person on that same thread who, who kind of commented, look, the title of the show, the, you know, The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, it's not about her being criticized over being transphobic or being a, being a turf. It's a play on words about um, the feedback and the vitriol that she received when she wrote uh, the Harry Potter series way back in the 90s. And, yeah, <laughs> and uh, this is not being published in this moment out of thin air for no reason. It's, it's a play on words. Uh, she, you know, believes that sh there's a witch trial out for her right now. And that, you know, the premise of the show is that uh, she has been under scrutiny, under scrutiny and has been hyper criticized by the public um, throughout her career. Uh, un, uh, for um, ridiculous reasons for which she will and has been vindicated. Um, and it, you know, very clearly is attempting to parallel the critiques that she received from the Christian church to the critiques that she's now receiving from uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, the, the liberal um, LGBTQ affirming community. Um, I mean, that's exactly what the show is. It's her being able to explain um, her side of the story. And, um, you know, part of me wants to just condemn Rowling and other TERFs, and uh, I, I believe um, that many of the arguments that are made um, are bad faith arguments, um, they're, you know, not really in it for, uh, real conversation or nuance. Um, but even when they are, um, you know, there's a part of me that really wants to condemn them and it, and it feels really frustrating. Um, and in that sense, um, you know, I, I relate with, or, or at least, I can feel something toward those who, you know, for example, go to, uh, you know, went to listen to the swimmer Riley Gaines um, speech about how trans women shouldn't be allowed to compete uh, athletically with cisgender women 
um, and about how people came out to, to scream and yell. Like, I, I empathize with that impulse, um, although, you know, I personally don't think that um, violence is something that is uh, legitimate or called for or useful. Um, I, I really think that a nonviolent way is the best way for accomplishing that which we need. I'm also not really an activist type. Um, but I do empathize with the, with the internal feeling that animates those folks screaming her down and, um, you know, sort of yelling at her in such a way that at least I saw one video where she was, you know, fleeing out the hallway and, um, and likewise, the folks who, who yell down J.K. Rowling online, um, even as much as I don't uh, condone or agree with or think it's useful to, you know, give death threats or whatever else the fuck people are doing. Um, I, I feel, though, for that impulse, you know, part of me wants to just condemn these folks that don't see us as valid or don't see us as legitimate in any way. And, you know, when I hear their, you know, frantic screeds that are trying to warn the world of the dangers of transgender women, um, it, it feels, it makes me feel really, really angry because it's full of projection and stereotype and it's not based in reality at all um and yet at the same time it feels like the possibility and even the reality of policy public policy whether it be you know policies at schools or in businesses or um, medicine or on the governmental level or whatever you know are actively being created in some states because of this kind of rhetoric um, and it just makes me feel crazy. Um, so uh, there's another part that comes up as well, though, that is sort of like, I don't, I don't know if it's like my therapist part, but there's a part of me that also um, understands and wishes to understand and to have compassion for uh, the, the fears of turf folks. Now, you know, I, I do feel like, like I said, I feel like some of what is going around is bad faith, but I also feel like I can see and hear, um, you know, real experiences of pain um, that have led folks to um, a position where they feel threatened. Um, and, you know, I, I think that longing for one's suffering to be validated and to be seen and to be heard and to be rectified and to see society shift because of it uh, is is valid. Like, it makes sense uh, to have those impulses. And because we live in a misogynist culture, because we live in a society that hierarchically places men and specifically white men at the, at the peak of that pinnacle, there's a lot of suffering that happens to all sorts of different women, 
probably every single woman and girl who's ever lived has suffered um, misogyny in their life to one degree or another, and and some to really, really horrifying degrees, maybe even the vast majority to horrifying degrees. And I, I think that it's normal and valid for people to fear that that trauma might be repeated and um, and, and I also resonate even with the impulse to compare suffering, if that's where the conversation goes, you know, to sort of want to um, uh, see validated or not, uh, or to try to push back against um, the erasure of the lived experience that people have gone through. Um, and so, insofar as turf ideology and the ideology that J.K. Rowling um, sometimes or or frequently has used, um, you know, I can understand where it might be coming from because of that deep well of pain. Um, You know, I'm right now I'm reading a book called, I think it's called Lessons in Chemistry. Um, It's a, a novel that's popular right now. I think that it, I think it may have come out in 2022. Um, it was one of the more, uh, popular, you know, books of the year. It was written, um, by Bonnie Garmus. Yeah, it was, it was published in 2022. It's been on my list for a little while, so I'm reading it right now. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, well, I don't know if I can say I'm really, really enjoying it. It's, it's disturbing. Um, it's this, um, it's a novel about a scientist, this chemist, a woman who lived, um, in the 1950s and about what life was like for her as a woman, as a scientist, as a single person, as a single mom. Um, and it's really an absolutely horrifying glimpse at the second class lives that women have, uh, been forced into um, for generations, for generations and generations. And um, it's striking um, because of how true and how real the story is and about how recent um, that culture and that milieu, I guess maybe even 1960s, that milieu was. It's not that long ago. Um, and it's it's really, really horrifying. The misogyny, the sexism, the sexual assault, uh, the sexual harassment, um, the assumption that uh, women are incapable, the assumption that women need men in order to guide and take care of them, um, the assumption that women can't make it in the world without men. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot. And you know, J.K. Rowling, I don't know if she was alive in the 60s, but, um, uh, you know, I, I don't really know how old she is. But certain, certainly she has relationships with people who were alive in the 50s and 60s, um, if not before. And she's heard stories and she has her own stories from growing up and living as a woman in this world. And I would be... Um, shocked to uh, know that or to, to find out that there 
wasn't similar kinds of trauma and awful, terrible, misogynist treatment of her as a woman. And, um, you know, that experience is something that, uh, I mean, it's just, it's so disturbing to read in Living Color. I mean, it's disturbing to read in the context of, you know, Donald Trump's campaign promise, make America great again. You know, it's essentially a promise to go back to that fucking time when, you know, it was really, really great for white men and pretty much fucking shit for everyone else, including first women, uh, or maybe not, (laughs) maybe I don't know who comes first on the list, but there's a lot of people that, have been royally shit on for many, many generations, um, including women, as a category. And that is what the promise is, that we can go back to this, you know, golden time where, you know, men are back up at the top. Um, and, you know, I've as, as I've been reading the book, I've been thinking frequently about the suffering that women have gone through, through the generations. And, you know, I was born in the early 80s. So um, the world had shifted in a lot of ways. But I still grew up in a highly misogynist culture and society, um, with a lot of those cultural assumptions still in place. And I grew up um, treated and with everyone around me believing that I was a boy and that I was a man. And so there were a lot of ways in which I was spared from that kind of misogyny. Now, you know, I don't think that the experience of male privilege for a closeted transgender woman is the same as a cisgender man. It's it's different. But I do think that that... Um, being able to pass as a man uh, gave me an, a lot of privilege, um, you know, and uh, one of those was actually very striking uh, in that I was able to be ordained. Um, I was a, a Christian pastor for many years, and I became ordained, and my denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, does not ordain women. Um, and so I was able to be ordained because I was um, presenting as a man, because I was living a lie, and that lie afforded me um, privilege. And and I don't know, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I wonder just, you know, I don't know, like sometimes the way that trans people talk about our realities, um, you know, it's just, it's complex. Um but I, you know, I, I had colleagues and, and friends and other women who were not able to be ordained because they were women, and I was. And that is profoundly fucked. You know, I, um, uh, I actually, at the time, in part because I knew I was trans, because I, I knew I was a woman, because I knew that I identified with the women that I worked with, when it was time for me to actually get ordained, I um, had some conversations with some of my women friends and um, asked, or some of my women colleagues who were also past, uh, at least in, in my tradition, women were able to be pastors, they just weren't able to be ordained, which is like incredibly demeaning. 
Um, and so I actually asked them and said, you know, what, what should I do? I, I don't feel right about getting ordained. I don't feel right, essentially, about stepping into this privilege that you cannot have and that you are qualified for. Um, and at least for one of them, was far more qualified than I was to be ordained. Um, and both of them uh, said, please, no, please get ordained. We need folks um, like you who are in favor of equality and egalitarianism in the church to be ordained, to have that authority. So please, t- you know, take our blessing and be ordained. And so I did. Um, that doesn't mitigate or lower the fact that it was a privilege, um, but it was there. And, and you know, I could probably go through thousands of examples where uh, women in my life where I either saw or was party to, or uh, was aware of, or whatever, um, ways in which girls and women in my life suffered because they were girls and women. It's just the truth. And so, you know, there's part of me, you know, insofar as some turf ideology, um, you know, is driven by that pain, um, insofar as that's true, I empathize with that, and I think that that pain is valid to be voiced and understood and worked against and to not be silenced and not to be erased and not to be threatened out of existence. Like, we need to hear those stories. We need to hear that history. We need to be reminded, and we need to be continually challenged on the ways in which um, misogyny continues to negatively impact us in all aspects of society. Um, You know, unfortunately, um, it it appears, and and I don't know if this is true, but but unfortunately it appears that, um, you know, J.K. Rowling's pain and maybe some other folks like her, uh, um, it thus far has failed to allow her to realize that misogyny uh, shows up in in many forms, including uh, trans misogyny. That's a term that was coined by uh, Julia Serrano um, in her masterful uh, manifesto that's written in Whipping Girl. I can't highly recommend it enough. It's absolutely uh, brilliant, and I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but misogyny shows up in different forms and flavors, and it and it affects all of us. It even affects men, uh, of which I am not one. Um, but it does affect men. It, it dehumanizes the men who wield it. Um, and um, there's a way in which it causes us to learn. Um, learned helplessness in a lot of ways. Um, uh, You know, patriarchy does so much damage. And obviously that damage is not equal. um, And that damage is not equal in terms of the trauma that it causes. But gosh, it it affects us in so many uh, different levels. And, And so, you know, just as I... Um, think that it's important um, and valid for uh, folks um, 
to be understood in uh, their pain, especially those who are, you know, anti-trans activists or whatever, um, just as I think that their pain ought to be validated and understood and that it's important to be heard, I also think that uh, the pain of trans people needs to be heard and understood. And I don't think that it has to be a competition. I don't think that those sufferings have to be compared. I don't think that there's a way truly to quantify who suffered more. And I don't think that those conversations are are ultimately valuable or helpful. You know, just like I don't think that, you know, violence is helpful in any cause. Um, it's uh, just, it's not useful to try like what's useful is to hear and to understand and to empathize with you know trauma is indiscriminate that's what we teach our clients in therapy that you know our our bodies um everyone's body is different and what uh, might lead one person's body to uh, uh, react with a trauma response might not cause another person's body to to react similarly we don't know um and the fact that, you know, two different triggers or two different impulses or two different injuries might lead two different people to respond in the same ways, uh, you know, trying to compare whose suffering is greater is, is kind of, um, I, you know, I, silly is the word that comes to mind. I don't, I don't really know. I don't want to label it or judge it. But, you know, it's, it's really, really impossible to compare and not helpful, <laughs> Um, so, you know, what do we do and where do we go from there? It makes me think of, uh, you know, what's been called cancel culture. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I have tended to avoid J.K. Rowling's work as she's become more and more, uh, vociferously, um, outspoken against, um, transgender people and the so-called, you know, gender ideology. Um, I, you know, I, I feel bad. I feel icky. I feel um, just not good partaking in that. I don't want to uh, support or validate that. It's part of the reason why I haven't listened to this fucking podcast, The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, and and I really don't plan to, and I'm not going to link it in my show notes. Um, I um, I don't want to benefit her or that uh, way of thinking um, because it harms me, and it harms my family, and it harms the life that we're trying to live, and I don't want to be um, I don't want to be on trial, um, as, you know, some kind of creep or criminal or person who's trying to deceive. I, I don't want to feel like I'm on trial. And, and, you know, <laughs> I just want to be like respected and seen for me. I want to be believed, um, which like, honestly, <laughs> these kind of fucking accusations that, that J.K. Rowling and other turfs are throwing around, it leads me to feel even more like a woman. It leads me to feel like 
I'm taking part in this, um, you know, lake of suffering that women before me have taken part in. God, like, how many fucking women through history have not been believed? Christ. I mean, we, like, we had the Me Too movement in 2017, and, and the reason that that Me Too movement arose was because people didn't goddamn fucking believe that people, that women largely had been sexually assaulted, had been raped, had been harassed, had been harmed by, uh, disgusting, violent, usually men. And, you know, so the fact that me, as a trans woman, uh, the fact that I am not being believed kind of makes me feel like more of a woman than ever. So there. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I struggle a little bit with kind of that cancel culture idea because there is this like little bit of an essence of like purity in it and it has this flavor um, that reminds me of religious fundamentalism and I grew up in this uh, really fundamentalist culture that was really concerned with purity and was really concerned with sin and right and wrong and all this stuff and essentially you know it, it was the 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 way that I grew up was that you know if you do if you did one thing wrong your entire life you would be you know stained and tainted and worthy of death and um, I remember just over the years like obsessing about things that I did wrong or you know being tempted to do this or that or to overeat or to drink or to whatever and you know I remember when I was in high school. One night, uh, one Friday night after a, a church program, see, I grew up in a church that kept Sabbath, um, you know, kind of like a little bit like Jewish people do, sort of, but it was like a Christian version of that. And so from Friday night sundown until Saturday night sundown, it was Sabbath and we weren't supposed to do, you know, like go to the store, we weren't supposed to watch TV, all these different things. We went to church on Saturday instead of Sunday, whatever. Anyway, one Friday night after the religious program uh, got over at my school, I really wanted to go to Taco Bell to get a burrito, and I had this huge internal debate, and I had so much guilt over going to Taco Bell on a Friday night, and it had it was because of this sense of purity. Like, I wanted to keep my streak going, and you know, like, I don't go to Chick-fil-A because of their anti, you know, homophobic stance. And I don't buy uh, Goya brand products because of the way that they supported Donald Trump and his presidency. There are certain local restaurants in Redlands that I don't go to because of the way that they handled the pandemic. Um, and, you know... <laughs> It, it it has a similar feel and i and i don't know how much i like how that sort of purity feeling feels of sort of buying into this you know consumerist impulse of like not giving certain people my dollars as a way of protesting i just uh, you know I, <laughs> I suppose that it is some small way of responding, um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know how 
good I feel about it or how useful I feel like it is. And like on Twitter, I feel like I'm in over my head. So I, I, I don't really know what the hell to do. It just feels overwhelming. And, um, and maybe you can relate. Like I, I just, I don't know what to do. I, I'm not super quick with words all the time. I don't, I, a lot of times I think about what I want to say days or weeks later. I mean, that's part of why I like this podcast because I can, you know, sort of formulate my thoughts over a period of weeks and then roll it out all together after I've tried to sort of pull some threads together. Um, but, you know, essentially, you know, what I've done is deleted all of my social media apps off of my phone so that I'm not doom scrolling and reading this shit. Um, because it doesn't help me, um, and it doesn't help you. So, um, I don't know what you think about this rambling mess, or what you think about J.K. Rowling, or TERFs. I didn't even define TERFs. Trans-exclusionary radical feminists. This is narrow strain, and God willing, it will stay narrow. Um, this narrow strain of feminism that says that, that, trans people, trans women especially, are not welcome, and that, you know, essentially trans men are confused or deceived or silly little girls that need to be taught a lesson, which sounds like really, really disgusting and misogynistic, but there you go. Um, anyway, um, I don't know if any of this has been helpful. Um, it kind of feels helpful to me because I've kind of been able to rant and vent a little bit. Um, but uh, I hope that your evening and week goes well. Thanks so much for listening to the program. Um, my name is L, as always, and um, I'm a transgender woman talking. We'll see you later. <laughs>